0: Okay, we are, again, looking at the life of Jesus, and we're going to just look at one verse in particular. We had mentioned it last time, and we'll go through it again. This is in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And after Jesus had made a a, a cord, and and, uh, taken some cords and made a whip, and he had driven out the money changers and those selling animals in in the temple... It said of him in in John chapter 2 verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. So I want to focus in upon this and and I, I want to talk about what's so important about zeal, number one, and number two, how do we maintain our zeal? What's important about zeal and how we maintain it? And let me say that without a passion, without zeal, you will never feel fulfilled in life. So that's a pretty good reason to feel passionate about, <clears throat> about this. If you do not have zeal for the kingdom of God, you will never feel quite fulfilled. Jesus said to the woman by the well, he said, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. And in fact, it will become a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. There is a fulfillment that comes through the serving of God. There is a fulfillment that comes by having a passion for God. Because you may say, well, I, you know, my career is going to fulfill me. Your career will only fulfill you so much. You say, well, if I just had this individual in my life, this person, this girlfriend, this boyfriend, this husband, this wife, then I will be fulfilled. Boy, are you in for a disappointment. There is never a human being that will fulfill you as you want to be fulfilled. It is only God that will bring fulfillment. And when you have that passion and that zeal, then there is fulfillment. When I look back over my life, it's not like, oh, wow, you know... I really published that paper. That really makes me feel good. No, it's, what's so much more fulfilling is, say, like something that I did last night. I was with the, the Chinese Fellowship and just shared with a bunch of, of students, graduate students and undergraduates who were from China. And shared my testimony and shared with them the power of God in my life. And I had one young lady walk up to me afterwards. She said, when you were speaking today, something happened to me. Something happened. She said, this is is so amazing. My life, something just happened to me. And right away, I grabbed one of the the Chinese workers there. I said, go. Sit down with this young girl. She is right there. She is at the entrance to the kingdom of God. Because I had just shared about how I came to the kingdom. Another young lady came to me. She said, can't I just do good enough things to get to God? And I said, you can do good things, and they're good, but they will fall far short of God. And she said, something is stirring in me. And I said, I'm going to put her together with another worker, just to see these hearts. This is what excites me. And you know, I go to bed fairly early. I couldn't sleep until after midnight last night, because I was so excited about what happened. This is what comes when there's this zeal for God. There is a fulfillment that comes that will never be satisfied just with another individual or just with with your work. Without zeal, you will never feel quite fulfilled in life. And it is a beautiful thing to have fulfillment in your life. Without zeal, you'll never be quite fulfilled. So how do we keep the zeal? So so I want to go over several points. uh, How to maintain your zeal. And I mentioned this last time. I want to start out. That's becoming invested. Your time, your attention, your money. You do not become passionate about anything or even interested if you don't have any investment. You will become interested in a local church to the extent that you invest something in that local church. And that's beyond your monthly $5. If you were to invest your time, you would really care about it. And, and and so to the extent that you invest in something, same with a campus group, to the extent that you invest of yourself, you become interested. You're interested in the stock market when you have money there. You're interested in investments when you have money in the investments. These fictitious investments where I can invest, you know, a fictitious half a million dollars in the stock market and see how it goes, That 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 only lasts for about a week. But when you have $500 in the stock market then you start really caring. When you are invested, then you start caring. So you have to become invested in something. You become invested in the kingdom of God, you will start to care about it. If you were to really take, when you start, take a tenth of everything you have and start giving it to a local church. And say you get a job and you, you say, well, when I get a job, then I'll start tithing. Mistake, mistake, mistake. You start tithing right now. You start giving right now. Ten percent of what you have. You say, because when I make more, it will be easier. No, the more you make, the harder it gets. This is the testimony. The more money you make, the harder it is to tithe. But when you tithe, when you start giving your money and you, you put that in there, then you start caring a lot more about that local body of Christ. You start caring a lot more about the facilities, And if you see somebody busting up the facilities, it's like, my tithe paid for that. You start caring a lot more about it. So you become invested. The second thing is that you need to learn to meditate on the Scriptures. If you meditate on the Scriptures, you will begin to really be able to take hold of this zeal. So so the Scriptures say in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man... Who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. If you will take the word of God, and as it says, make it your meditation day and night, it will help you to maintain your zeal. And it says that when everybody else around you is shriveling up and drying up like a dead tree, you will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. You will be characteristically different. This will help you to maintain your zeal if you meditate on the Word of God every day. If you meditate on the Word of God every day, it will help you to maintain your zeal. And I keep, I keep a pocket full of scriptures to this day. I keep a pocket full of scriptures and, 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 you know, if, I, if I'm going through something, I, I write, write verses down and go through them. And I'll, I'll tell you, j- just the other day, I wrote down this verse because the Lord really spoke to me through this verse. I was, getting, I, I, I was getting really upset over little things, any little thing, getting upset. Has that ever happened to you where you go into a phase where, no, it never happened to you, Chuck. No, but it, ha- oh. <laughs> okay, so Barbara told us the truth. So this verse is for 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 for, uh, for me and Chuck. This, this verse. Because because I was getting all upset about little things and I knew it shouldn't be that way, and then I was reading in the scriptures and it says in Proverbs twelve, sixteen, A fool shows his annoyance at once. I said, Lord, that's me. The Lord was just a poom, the word fool was just coming it had an LED on it and it was just coming into my eyes off the page. A fool shows his annoyance at once. Chuck, that's Proverbs 12, <laughs> Alright? The Word of God is speaking to me. And so I take this verse, I write it down, and I want to keep it in my pocket and just meditate on this. A fool shows his annoyance at once. Lord, you're speaking to me. I want victory over this. This is what the Word of God does. It begins to speak into our life. And it gives us the sustenance to correct us, to correct us, to turn. As it says in, in, in Joshua chapter 1, you take this book, you make it your meditation so that you would be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Joshua eight. If you do this, you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it. When you make this word your meditation, you're more careful to do according to all that's written in it. And this is what gives you success and prosperity. This is what maintains your zeal. Without meditation on the word of God, you can't maintain it. Matthew 4 4, remember we had we had studied this before. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You want to maintain your zeal? Jesus said you shall not do it by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Meditation on Scripture. It's, there, there's a prayer, a concern for others. Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms. He talks about it in, in Matthew. When you fast, when you pray, when you give alms. So He expects us to be praying. What prayer does is it calls me beyond myself to show concern for another. To pray for another. Through our prayer life, zeal can be maintained. Zeal can be maintained through a prayer life where I will pray for others. And because of that, because I know that I am not good at this, I'm not inherently good at in prayer. Some people are just just prayer warriors. They're just praying all the time. This is not something I'm particularly good at because I just want to go in and just fix the problem. And God calls us to pray. I have to make discreet times in my life that are set aside for prayer. So around midday, somewhere around midday, I will go and spend time in prayer. I go and I set aside a time to pray, that this is the time that I'm going to pray. So it's not particularly a time where I'm meditating on scriptures. It is a time where I am interceding on behalf of others. A time to pray. Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms. So it wasn't like... If you should so happen to fast, he assumed that we would be fasting. He assumed that we would be praying. So when you pray, it helps you to maintain your zeal because now you become also invested in another person's life. You're praying for an individual, you are investing yourself into their lives. And then all of a sudden, you start caring about them more when you pray. If you do these things, your zeal will be maintained. Another thing, and so remember, the, the Scripture also says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give in prayer, you will, you will be blessed indeed. When you give in prayer for others, you will indeed be blessed. Another thing is, is fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect the fellowship of the saints, which is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is a fellowship that we need to have in the body of Christ without the fellowship of the body of Christ. Now, I know that one day you might be persecuted for your faith and you'll be thrown into prison in isolation. All right. God will give special grace for those moments. But until then, we are commanded to be in fellowship. Without that, it is very hard to sustain a Christian life. So when folks tell me, well, you know, I don't need to attend a church. You know, you don't have to attend a church, you know. As soon as I hear that, I know that they have a problem. They have a problem. When they're defending the case that they don't have to be in church, because you don't have to be in church to be a Christian, you know. God can speak to you in your own home, you know. I know that they have a problem. Of course God can speak to you in your own home. Of course, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But to be a zealous Christian, to be on fire, you have to be surrounded by others in the body of Christ. The other thing that happens by being surrounded by others in the body of Christ and helping you to maintain your zeal is you learn good habits from other people. The people you hang out around are the people you start to, to, to mimic and emulate. So, the scripture says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good morals. You hang out around bad folks all the time. You will become more bad. You will become worse when you hang out around bad people. This will happen to you. Now, you say, well, you know, Jesus went and he, he ate and drank with sinners. Yeah, He did. And He always had His disciples around Him too when He did this. He went with others. He did this in the fellowship of others. So when there's a justification, there may well be a justification. You go into certain places and, and, and uh, uh, you know, you're witnessing, you're sharing But understanding that those are certain times of, say, witnessing in your life. But you have to come together again with the body of Christ. Without the body of Christ, you will lose your zeal. Even Elijah said, you know, he said, you know, I'm all alone here. I'm all alone. And God reminded him of the number of people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. He said, you're not alone. And then what he did for Elijah is he raised up for Elijah a close friend with a similar name, Elisha, to travel with him, to go around with him, to be with him. He realized this man, even the great Elijah, could not stand alone. He needed to have fellowship in the body of Christ. Now, I'll I'll tell you, you, you know many men talk about having men friends and women talk about having women friends and I think that's tremendous. I will tell you personally, for me, the person that I enjoy most being with for fellowship is my wife. I really enjoy it. I like being around her. She encourages me in the Lord. And so I'm not opposed to married men having male relationships that, that go and encourage them in the body of Christ. And that's fine. I'm just telling you, I get a lot from my wife. God has been very good to me in that I have a spouse that I just love to be around her. And she encourages me all the time in my faith. She really does. You pray that you get a spouse like that that encourages you in your faith, that's not afraid to confront you. And she confronts me, but in a very gentle way. You know, it's a rare event when she has to put her hands on her hips and say, James Tour." I mean, that's a rare event. But when she does it, she gets my attention. But, you know, she, she usually says, you know, she slowly corrects me in things, and very gently corrects me, because... You know, I have a tendency, oh, I know what I'm doing, it. you think I don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> she, she has a way of just loosening me up, and serving me a good meal, and having me relax, and then she'd pull up a chair next to me, and then just very gently begin to speak into my life. This is a great thing. It helps me to maintain my zeal in that she points out faults. She points out errors in my life. And, and, and she's not just, you know, nagging me and nagging me. It doesn't happen gently points these things out to me. Every good habit that I have, as i told you, I have learned from other godly men. When I was an undergraduate, there was a man in the local church, the pastor of the local church. His name was Dr. T.E. Koshy. And he was the pastor of the church that I attended. He was also the evangelical chaplain of the university. I learned so much from fellowship with that man. I learned how to pray on my knees. I learned what it is to pray for extended periods. There was another man who used to come from India. His name was Brother Bhat Singh. He started over 600 churches in India. Powerful, powerful man of God. He was in his 80s when I met him. I mean, to see a man in his 80s, on his knees, for hours praying. So I would go to help take care of this man. This man would be on his knees for hours. His head just lifted up toward heaven, praying. Terrific man of God. This is where I learned this. I learned this from these men. Then when I went to graduate school, I prayed a lot before I left undergraduate to go to graduate school that God would lead me to the right church because I knew how much I needed the body of Christ. And I got involved with such a great church called the Upper Room Christian Fellowship and the pastor's name was Delmar Broersma. He was a professor at the university. He taught uh, uh, entomology but he was also the pastor of the church. He modeled for me what it was like to have a profession in academics and to still be totally tied in with the body of Christ. He was the pastor. And anyhow, we would have these early morning meetings with these young, younger brothers, with people like me. Early morning meetings. And we would learn from him. And I would learn to pray, how that man would pray. He would say, let's go for a walk and let's just go pray together. I mean, to stand by his side and go pray. And to this day, we're friends. He's still the pastor of that church. He's retired from the university now, but he's still pastor. And I'm going to be speaking, Lord willing, in this church in October. When I'm there for another event, I'll be going back to Purdue because my, my, my former professor won the Nobel Prize, so going back for this, this event. But I'm going to come early and, and go speak in this man's church. I learned so much from him. This causes me to maintain my zeal. The body of Christ, the passion of others. And, and this guy was, 99% of the time, he was up and excited about the Lord. In that 1% of the time that he was down, there were a million brothers around him to encourage him on, not to lose heart. And to see how this man gave, how he would set up chairs and set things up, nothing ever bothered him, nothing was below him. It was fine for him to clean up, to mop the floors, to do these sorts of things. I learned this modeled to me. By Del Brosma. This was modeled to me in this man. And I've retained it because of the relationship and the fellowship that came in the body of Christ. Discipleship to me was not so much sitting down and you know somebody showing me from the Word of God. It was walking with these men. I had relationship with them so I would see how they would handle situations. I remember seeing both Dr. Koshi and Del Brosma. I used to want to sit with them just to see how they would deal with situations when people would come. You know, people come to pastors with the weirdest sort of questions. I mean, And they go, oh, you know, this is happening in my life. Isn't this wonderful? And you can just, you no, know, it's, it's not wonderful, but they think it's wonderful. And I wanted just, you know, I could just sit back there. I knew I didn't have to deal with it. The pastor was there to deal with it, and I wanted to see how they were going to deal with the situation in a loving way how they would encourage and spur this person on. I love to wa- watch really talented pastors and stand at their side and see the way they greet people. See the way they deal with children. This is what discipleship is. It is walking alongside of others and learning from others. Walking alongside. When I was an undergraduate, there was a, the assistant pastor at a church. He was an old guy. He was like 27 years old. I was, I was like 19. So he... You know he, would, he was old. He was already married. I mean, come on. I mean, just, and, and, and so he was all set in life. And he would take us door-to-door witnessing. He'd say, we're going to go door-to-door. And he'd go with us. And so we'd go out two by two, and we'd knock on doors all around the neighborhood in which we lived. And then we'd come back, and we'd get together, and we'd talk together about the different experiences and the things people said. And this caused me to learn. This is how you maintain your zeal. You catch this from other people. Without the body of Christ, it is very difficult to maintain your zeal. And without zeal, you will never be fulfilled in life. You will never be fulfilled if you don't have zeal. Okay, the next thing is fasting. There are seasons in my life where I feel I'm becoming lethargic in my faith. Where I feel I'm becoming dull. Where I feel that my zeal for God just isn't what it was six months ago, and I will go into a season of fasting. Now you say, well, this, there's a scripture talk about this. It talks about it a lot, and I'll give you a list of scriptures in a moment. But when you take a time period and you set it aside and you say, for this period of time, and remember, fasting is not, well, I 'll fast between lunchtime and dinner time. That's not fasting, okay? Fasting is where you go a time period, whatever that is. I won't put upon you what that should be. But it's generally more than 24 hours where you go without food. And you're just drinking water, going without food. It's generally more than 24 hours. Now, sometimes you have to work your body into the ability to be able to fast. But to be able to go into a three-day fast, I'll tell you, very often you'll be in this thing, you'll think, I'm not getting any closer, God. I can't stop thinking about food. You get headaches and you're... And your knees will start aching. But I'll tell you, when you come out of that fast, you will come, you will have a fire and passion, and everything will be restored in your life. There is a passion and a fire and a zeal that can come after a time of prayer. Often if I'm going to go on a big uh, preaching event, where I'm going to be speaking in some big setting, uh, I will go in a three-day fast prior to that. So say, say I were going to be speaking on a Sunday, I would fast on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then on that Saturday morning, say, so come out of the fast, and, and just to get some energy back and be ready for Sunday. And that by that Sunday, I am telling you, I am a roaring lion. There is nobody that's going to stand in my way. Because of a closeness that comes through fasting. Is there scriptural evidence for this? There is. There is. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 30, Cornelius was fasting, and he, of all people... Which Gentile is going to receive the Word of God first? Remember, the the Scriptures only came to Jews. Came to the house of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verse 30, Cornelius was fasting and God visited him. In Acts 13, verse 2, the church there fasted and prayed and based on the fasting and praying, God spoke to them and they said, set aside for us Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and, and, and Paul. Set aside them for, for the work of service. In Acts chapter 13, verse 3, they fasted again, and they prayed before sending them out. There was a time where the body of Christ was fasting and praying. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, depending on which version of Bible you read, it talks about how husbands and wives need to set a time together to pray and to fast. Some, some versions mention the fasting, other versions don't. But there is a time where couples were supposed to set aside a time of fasting and praying together. In 2 Corinthians 6.5, Paul was inundated with all these things around him, and he went without food. There was a fasting period. In 2 Corinthians 11.27, Paul was often in a period of fasting. So there is precedence for this. And remember, Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms. Again, He presupposes that we are fasting. Now, when He was walking on this earth, the disciples did not have to fast. He said, the bridegroom is with them. But He told them, there's going to come a day when He would leave, and then they would fast. And indeed they did. How they, they, they were uh, in the upper room that would often came along with prayer was fasting. So, you do this, and it is not an easy thing. I hate to fast. There's something about my body just likes food. I don't know if you're the same way. Fasting is never easy for me. It is never easy. But that's what's about it. Remember, Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. Now, I've never fasted for 40 days, but he fasted for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days. And then he came down the mountain, reproved a bunch of people, went up and fasted for another 40 days. You know, so he was an amazing guy. Now, I have known people to fast for 40-day periods. I've known people to do that. That man, Delmar Brosma, who just modeled to me. He would go on 40-day fasts on occasion with, with, with other men in the church. He would do that. But to go a period of time without food, a few days without food, that can really get you stirred up for the Lord. You will come out of that fast. And, and you'll find that, that every time your belly hurts, you're going, Oh God, work in my life. Do a great work in my life. And go into the fast knowing what you're going to be praying for. Knowing what the issue is. Lord, increase my zeal. And make that your prayer. Every time you're, you, you, you feel this urge for food. Make that your prayer. And you will find after a day or two in a fast, you can, you can spend time in prayer. You can wake up instantly in the morning. You can wake up instantly. After that first day, which is just miserable trying to wake up, come that second day, your body's not spending all this energy trying to digest food at night, and you can wake up a lot easier very often. And you won't have a whole lot of energy after that. But there is a time of fasting that you set aside, and it will help you to increase your zeal. So when I feel those periods where I feel that you know, I'm becoming lethargic in my faith, I will set aside a period for fasting. Another way to maintain your your zeal is to be in service. Have some mode of service. Some area in which you can serve in. Turn to to, uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. You'll see these different areas of service. You know, it, it outlines a few. It doesn't say that this is the complete list, but you see in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, now reading from Romans 12, 5, so we... So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness... So you see that there are different gifts that people have. You have to be in some way exercising the gifts that God has given you. Jesus said in John chapter 12, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my, my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. When there is a service of God, remember God service to God, God will honor you. Serving God is different than showing up For the Agape meeting or for the Navigator meeting or for the FCA meeting. That is not service. Service means that I will go early and set stuff up. I will make sure that things are set up. I will stay later and clean things up. This is something that I want to do so that without me, something will be sorely missed. That I'm going to do some role of service. You can certainly have an hour each week. Yes, I know you're very busy, but remember, that doesn't impress me very much. You can have an hour of service a week where you are serving in the body of Christ in some way where you are serving. To have some role of service, whether it be in the local church, in a campus group, or in ministering to individuals, some role of service. Through service, you can maintain your zeal. Uh, We are called into service. Without service, without serving in the body of Christ, we just get, get overweight. We just sit around. We must be serving in the body of Christ. Uh, uh, the next thing is, is um, okay, I, 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 with, with, within the realm of serving. You know, when I was in, in college, early on in, in, in the time when I was a believer, uh, I used to love the scriptures. And sometimes I would find myself in my room just speaking the scriptures. Just all alone was just speaking it out. And it seemed so unusual to me. And so then when an opportunity opened up, when I could have a Bible study, begin to teach a Bible study, it was just a natural fit for me. I just started teaching. And I felt really, I I would just review and study and study so much. But then I went to graduate school and I had a, a Bible study there in the chemistry building and teaching a Bible study. I felt I had to have that avenue of service. Then I went and, and I, I, I went, so I went to Purdue and I was having a Bible study there in the, in the glass shop with the glass blower and some people would come on down. And then when we went to, uh, to the University of Wisconsin, I had a Bible study there in the chemistry department. Went to Stanford University. Again, I was just a student and I had to have a Bible study there in the, in the department there. Because what you use To whom much is given, much is expected. Remember the one with the talents. The one who was given five talents went out and made five talents more. If God has given you a talent with something and you don't exercise it, you will never see that go very far. Remember the man said, oh, I took your talent and I hid it in the ground because I knew you to be a hard man. So I dug a hole and hid it in the ground. Here's your talent back. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, you know, because of that, you're just not going to get another talent. He said, you wicked and lazy man. In, in Matthew 25, you wicked and lazy man, you shall be thrown into the place of outer darkness with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. <gasps> I mean, this was a pretty severe penalty. Well, You've you, you, you got your talent back. All right, you know, if you're not going to give me any, we're fine, but why curse me like this? I don't know. But that's what Jesus talked about. When you don't exercise what is given you, it doesn't go well with you. But if you take what God has given you, God will give you so much more if you exercise that. If I take this desire to teach and I use it so that when people call me and say, would you come and speak in our church? You know, if, if it's around Houston and I can get there, I'm there. If it's outside and I have to travel because of other things that are pulling upon me, there has to be a, a good reason to do it. But if it's here in the body of Christ, people say, will you come? I say, of course I'll come. Of course I'll come, because this is what I am called to do. And I know that the more that I exercise this gift of just sharing the Word of God with others, the better I'll get at it, the more power He'll give me in it. When you take your gift, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's doing something, and you exercise that, you will have more success in that. Jesus said that. He said that you took the ten talents, you exercise it, you get ten talents more. Enter into the joy of your Master, He said to them in in Matthew. Enter into the joy of your Master. When you do service, according to what He's called you to do, then you enter into joy of service. When you don't do, enter into the joy of your Master, when you don't do service, you end up in this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where all you do is you're, you're complaining and spitting and saying, the world is mean all the time. This is where you end up if you don't have service. You lose your zeal if you're not giving of yourself in service. And it always takes of your time. I know you're very busy, but it always will take of your time. But remember, he who serves me, the Father will honor. This I know, that the Father will honor you. Um, let me just uh, finish up with a couple of things. The Lord's Supper, it says that those who partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, without considering what the Lord's Supper is, they ended up weak and sick and a number sleep. Remember the word sleep in the New Testament was always for death of the believer. Jesus said, "Oh, Lazarus is sleeping. Death of the believer was never death, separation from God. It was a state of sleep. Weakness and sickness comes by not taking of the Lord's Supper rightly. This is what the Scriptures say. Imagine if we should not take of it at all. Weakness and sickness and even sleep comes by not taking of the Lord's Supper rightly. This is one of the things that God has set for us. Because when we do this, we examine ourselves. And it's a time of introspection. But the Bible is very clear in Second Corinthians uh, 11, 24 and 25, that because of, the, of taking of this in the wrong manner, it's going to bring weakness and sickness into a person's life. When we don't partake of this, it is wrong. We are to partake of it. This is what he's called us to. And the last thing is, sin destroys zeal. Sin can destroy zeal. This is why it is a great thing to deal with sin. It's a great thing to ask God to forgive us. In Psalm 51, let's look at Psalm 51. This is where David had sinned with Bathsheba. And this was the the Psalm that he wrote from his place of travail after sinning with Bathsheba and it's being pointed out how he had killed a man. And, uh, you know, he went into the temple. This was the the Psalm that was written in, in reference to that. And in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You see what David is crying out for. Sin can destroy zeal. It really can. You want to know what separates people from God? Sin. Your sin will separate you from God. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. But you want to know, what is it that really starts to to draw us away from this depth of relationship? It's our sin. It's sin. And when we learn to repent and say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. This is what He's crying out. He says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He said, Sustain me with a willing spirit. I don't want to lose my zeal. I don't want to lose my passion. Father, protect me. Father, protect me. Sin can destroy zeal. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood. Jesus stood up. And he cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is what Jesus cried out. He said, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, you come to me. And as the scripture said, if you believe in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You will not lack zeal. So that when you get old, 60 years old, when you get old, you will look back and you will say, it was so fulfilling. The job, your work, will not fulfill you. An individual will not fulfill you. But if you have zeal and passion for the Lord, that will fulfill you. That's the thing that you will look back upon and say, wow, this was great. This was great. The people that got touched. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray for these young people that You would cause them to have a passion and a zeal for You. Father, I pray that they would see the need to have a zeal so that they might have fulfilled lives. And that You would keep them about the things that You have for them. Lord, I pray for these young people. Do a great work in their lives, I pray. Father, I pray that they would be able to look back over their lives and feel quite fulfilled because of the great things that you have done in and through them. Father, your mercies rest upon them, I pray. Have mercy on these young people. Have mercy on them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.